0: This is Dave Graham, the retirement guy. Did you purchase an annuity that hasn't made you any money? Well, the good news is that you're not stuck with it. At Graham Capital Advisors, a new proprietary software will show you how you can redirect your money into the highest available guaranteed income payouts for life. If you're 65 years old, you can receive 7.9%. At 70 years old, 8.2%. If you're 75, 8.99%. Need help? Go to our website and schedule an appointment. That's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com.
1: It's time for the Graham Capital Market Update, a daily look at Wall Street brought to you by Graham Capital, an estate planning and investment management firm right here in Florida. How hard is your money working for you? Let's find out
0: with your hosts, David Graham and Stosh Graham. This is Dave Graham of Graham Capital, and you're listening to Graham Capital's Market Update. The show is brought to you every day at 6 p.m. on WHNZ, 1250 a.m. and 105.9 FM. And we'll give you a market update of what's going on with the stock market and what major events could possibly affect your investments. And by the way, if you're a fan of Dave or Ramsey, I want you to know that we're proud to be part of the Smart Vester Pro team helping people do the right thing for the right reasons when it comes to their money. We're just as concerned about your life savings as you are. Proud to be fiduciaries. Everyone in our office has a professional designation. Certified financial planner, certified senior advisor, certified estate planner, CPA, we cover it all. And if you want to get a head start on your taxes this year, this is the place to go to. Schedule an appointment, GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. It's always good to get a second opinion on what you're doing with your money. And you always remember that cliche, the longer with your broker, the broker you get, well, come and see us. Always remember, if you lose it, you have to remake it. And that takes time. And what are we running out of when we get older? It's time, the time to remake it. With proper guidance, we can put you on the right path to have a successful, stress-free retirement. Legal, planning, and investing. Three-legged stool. Graham Capital Advisors, we do it all. Let us help you. Go to our website. It's grahamcapitaladvisors.com. And coming up next is Stosh Graham, the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management on K Street in Washington, D.C., That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com. Stash, well, how did the day go on Wall Street today? Good afternoon, David. Look, the markets are continuing to try to
2: find ground as it hit all-time highs earlier this month. We've had a mix of economic data reports, which in some cases has put the market on uh, a defensive footing. Really, it depends on the type of uh, stock uh, or classification of stock that you fall in. But it's been a very interesting uh, end of week. Again, we've had a mix of economic data, which has put into question what the next act from the Federal Reserve is going to look like later this spring or summer.
0: Well, you know, obviously, when you're looking at, you know, a higher than expected inflation data on Friday now, and, and here we are, the PPI came above expectations. What is the PPI? For for, for our average listener, why is it important for future inflation readings?
2: Right. So PPI stands for Producer Price Index, and it's different from CPI, which is Consumer Price Index, and that exactly how it sounds in, in the name. This is the price of raw materials. This is the price of goods that you input to make a larger product, ultimately, that the consumer pays. And generally speaking, why PPI is important, and in particular to your question, why PPI is very important in the sense of what does it mean for what the consumer pays, PPI historically tends to have a six to 12 month lead time on what CPI will look like. So earlier Friday, we ended up seeing PPI that came in above expectations we saw another metric called core PCE deflator, which is the Federal Reserve's preferred inflation indicator that came in at above expectations at half a 1%. Um, and again, this port, this portrays or, or foretells a tough route, a tough battle for the Federal Reserve to get inflation to its long run 2% year-over-year year growth uh, average that it wants or, or goal that it wants. Um, again, this last move lower in inflation, again, is is going to be tough. Look, we've talked a couple times in the show this week about, uh, or the last few days, about uh, inflation and what where we expected to go. We think it's going to continue. That we continue to think that inflation, the growth or deflation, will continue to decelerate in coming months. But it's the second half of 2024, where people should be really worried about uh, inflation, whether it is CPI or PCE, uh, they should be really worried uh, about that, the consumer-based inflation readings really starting to have material, uh, material moves higher.
0: Well, I, I guess the question is then, if you have higher than expected inflation, uh, how does that impact interest rates? Well, it's going to impact
2: the Federal Reserve in that the Federal Reserve has two mandates. That's the creation of the Federal Reserve is to monitor inflation, the price that people pay for goods and services, and employment. And it's their job to balance between the two. It's not worrying about financial markets or things like that. Um, And so this puts the Federal Reserve in a very, very difficult spot because they ended 2023 being really dovish. They started teasing the fact that you're going to start seeing some rate cuts in 2024, which is a monetary policy pivot. Uh, We just had from 2022 through 2023, in modern monetary policy history, the steepest rise in interest rates that we've ever seen. Uh, But it puts them in a difficult spot because again, just a few months ago, they were giving dovish hints. They were giving us doc plots showing multiple rate cuts in 2024. And now we've gotten to the point where the market has reacted to that. They pr- they were pricing, as we were entering 2024, six rate cuts. And now we obviously have gotten uh, a couple different inflation data points, which now has shown that those market participants that were buying into the stock market expecting six rate cuts, they were very off And now, again, the market is battling whether we're going to have three or four rate cuts in 2024, and whether May will be the first time that we get a rate cut.
0: Right. Well, I mean, when you look at how it's affecting the markets, you know, over the last couple of years, the large cap companies, they've greatly outperformed the small cap. And, you know, so far to in 2024, it's been more of the same. And you don't see that. Why, why is that? Well, look, I think it's
2: a couple of things. One, small cap companies have not been the same beneficiaries of COVID-related fiscal policy that large cap companies were. And I know that might be counterintuitive to a lot of the things that you've seen, whether it's the PPP or the employee retention credits, but just broadly, the type of fiscal support that financial markets received generally benefit companies that had exposure to capital markets. And those companies are your publicly traded uh, large cap companies? Now, small cap companies, too, make no mistake, if they're publicly traded, they have access to capital markets too, but just not to the same scope and size. Um, right. And obviously, as we've seen these interest rate hikes, the cost of capital has materially increased. And so, for example, if you are a small cap company that struggles with profitability or struggles on generating its own organic free cash flow, You have paid the price uh, in terms of your stock price or just what it costs to borrow from capital markets because we know the cost of capital has doubled or tripled in a lot of cases for publicly traded companies over the last uh, say 24 to 36
0: months. Well, now more than ever, when when you're looking at, like when you talked about uh, uh, the US producer prices and when they rose more than was forecast in January. What, is that in, what does that mean when you see them rise that quickly or is an arbiter on things to come? What does that tell you when you see a, a, a producer prices rise more than expected?
2: Right. So, I mean, what that tells you is that the consumer should expect the producer who by and large, and and we mentioned this a couple of days ago, but if you're not tied to the artificial intelligence CapEx boom and CapEx stands for capital expenditure. If you're not a beneficiary of that, generally speaking, the odds are that your business is struggling in terms of sales, or it's struggling in terms of profitability, or likely in a lot of instances, both. We saw that with some of the retail sales data that we got earlier uh, earlier a few days ago, which showed a contraction in retail sales. Uh, again, a very worrisome development. Um, but look, I think, again, when you are spanning out what businesses are having to do in terms of labor costs, in terms of the cost, we just talked about cost of capital, the cost to service, their outstanding debt, uh, it's expensive. And I think that's one of the reasons why you saw the NFIB, uh, which, which is a agency that monitors small business. They do a lot of small business surveys. Their January small business small business optimism index fell a couple percentage points, and it's the weakest that we've seen in almost a year. And a lot of that is due to the fact that these businesses are struggling to maintain profitability. They're cutting back on the amount of people that they're hiring. They have some of the lowest plans to hire new people uh, since 2016, uh, if you if you exclude the COVID uh, the COVID uh, uh, plunge. So, again, you have a, a big separation between small and large businesses. Uh, and it is playing out in the stock market today, and it's continued as
0: we started 2024. Well, you know, we've talked about this before, but with, with the average consumer, they're driving down the road, they see gas prices are starting to go up again. And I know West Texas crude now is still around 7 eight bucks $8 a barrel. But then again, you still have this war going on. In, you know, in the Middle East, and and that's not going to be ending anytime soon. So I guess, let me just ask you generally, when you see three months from now, where do you see the price of gasoline going to be? I know it has to be produced, but would oil be affected by this? Is this going to affect our economy?
2: Well, look, I mean, there, there's multiple effects. Yes, it does. and And certainly lower gasoline prices as we exited 2023 was one of the major catalysts to consumer sentiment bullishness. Uh, as we've added, added uh, or as we've entered 2024. But I think the story in regards to the consumer is the same. It's how much more can they borrow before they break? Uh, and look, you have seen a significant separation between haves and have-nots, where the haves have so much that they don't need, they can't spend enough. So they're just dumping it into the market and maybe a variety of ETFs or uh, in that capitalist finance way to a variety of tech companies. Um, or you are of on the other side the have nots, which is unfortunately for our economy, the pool of people that are growing faster, they're getting they're rolling credit card debt at 25% APR. They're getting further and further behind delinquencies. Uh, in the last few days, we've gotten updates from some of the major banks, JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, uh, Capital One, all showing delinquency rates on their credit card borrowers increasing. Um, and you think about or you think about uh, credit card companies. Capital One is probably more indicative of your middle class to lower class borrower, in that you know that's who they generally cater to. On the other side, J.P. Morgan Chase a little bit broader, but they skew upper middle class, upper class, and obviously Amex skews upper class. But even American Express, while the delinquency rate is lower, you have seen a six to twelve month trend. Where their delinquency rates have moved higher. So you have more and more people getting caught behind where they can't even make the minimum payment on their credit card. And if they are able to make the minimum payment on their credit card, they're still accruing a balance that's, you know, 20, 25%. You know, we know their wages aren't growing that. So the the trend is certainly continuing. That outstanding credit card debt will continue, it'll continue to grow. And really, unfortunately, there's not gonna be a round of stimulus coming from Washington, D.C. right now, there's so much dysfunction on Capitol Hill. I mean, we should be worried about just trying to keep the government funded over over the next couple of months, let alone trying to get some type of stimulus package to to households to try to get them uh, uh, caught back
0: up on their debt. Sure. Well, another sector that obviously everyone is always interested in is real estate. And the Fed's now talking about how regulators now are really starting to keep a close eye on commercial real estate and the risk and the Fed is you know asking if, if lenders have have done enough to brace for, the, for bad loans out there. So they're kind of clo- closely focused now on the real estate market. How do you feel that would affect the average person? With either the value of their home or possibly even getting a mortgage now with what's going on what what is that market yeah
2: yeah i mean look uh, the housing market the residential housing market while it's loosening up a little bit uh it's still in a very it's in a tough situation there's not a lot of inventory and i know a lot of people if they've been reading the mass publications you know they've seen this and, and it's true you have a lot of people now that have homes with mortgages that are with arm's length of 3%, in some cases below 3%, in some cases just above 3%. Those people are going to be extremely reluctant to sell their home unless the house they're moving into is either they're going to pay all cash or they're getting a great deal on the house where then they could pay a 55 to 6% mortgage. Um, But look, I think when you span back the last 40 years, your average mortgage is 5 6%. You know, this last 15 years is really the anomaly when you factor in the last, well, I said 40, let's look at the last 60 or 70 years. Uh, again, when you look at a much broader portion of history, again, the last decade, decade and a half is the anomaly. Um, and so if there's a degree of normalization, tad, eventually buyers will come because they need a house, especially those first-time home buyers that have been maybe living with mom and dad and they've been working on paying down their debt, and they've been building up capital, uh, those people need to buy homes. But, you know, so that's residential. Commercial is obviously the bigger the bigger bomb, uh, if you want to use that term, in, in financial markets. Now, I think you have to sparse through the type of commercial real estate, but the mortgage MBA, the, the MBA, Mortgage Bankers Association, actually just oh. gave us a bit of data four or five days ago And Bloomberg ran with the story uh, that there's about uh, uh, a little over $900 billion that needs to get refinanced this year. So it's going to be a fascinating year because you figure regardless of whether the property, the commercial real estate property is performing or not, the value of that real estate has gone down systematically. Because real estate has a inverse relationship to interest rates. And when we just, as we just established two years ago, we embarked, the Federal Reserve embarked on the steepest rate hike cycle that we've ever seen. So all fixed income based assets, whether it's inverse related or directly uh, correlated, uh, they have moved in kind. And so whether you're talking about real estate, whether you're talking about utility companies, These are very interest rate sensitive companies that move in the inverse to what interest rates do. So regardless of whether your piece of real estate has performed or not, say you have 80% occupancy and you're servicing your debt and you have enough margin of error that you're compliant with all your covenants on on your loan, your commercial loan, the value of your real estate has likely come down. And in some cases, if it's office, it's material. So now when it comes time to refinance your debt, Your banker is saying, hey, you need to put up more collateral or put more cash into the pot because we, any banker, will issue a loan based off the value of the real estate. So the term is called LTV or loan to value. And so if that value, that denominator has come down and because the price of your real estate has come down, then you have to kick in more equity to make that loan to value within the parameters of the loan. So I, I think, again, you're not through this period of stress. Uh, right. Again, you, you're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars that need to get moved just in the next 12 months.
0: No, I could see that. Look, right now, for quite a while, everyone was concerned about you know the word recession. But the stock market now is trading equal to a composite of what fair value estimates are, value stocks, small caps, I guess. Some are trading at, at decent discounts. The tech sector has moved back uh back to to a choice for under underweighing along with industrials, you know, communications, basic materials, I mean just about every everything. So I guess the question is, with the rate of economic economic growth that is forecast now in 2024, which is a little slower, but there's still no recession. So is that recession word, is that you know history now is is that it, there's no feasibility of a recession of any sort well look i mean so you
2: have to break down what you're talking so if if you say a recession i so i assume you're going to say broadly the economy sure. uh but i mean look you have had pockets of our economy already in recession the freight manufacturing world has been in recession for more than a year now the manufacturing space only makes up about 10 to 15% of our economy. It's much less than what it was 50 to 60 years ago. Certainly right. we're a services dominated, uh, uh, economy and people are, as you see, people are flying, uh, well, we've seen slow down there, uh, but people are going to concerts. Obviously there's been a lot of attention made to Taylor Swift's, uh, you know, concert tour through 2023. And she's coming back. Later this year, these concerts are sold out, and people are paying big premiums to go to their concerts. So people are going to events. People are going uh, to various types of, and and an event like that would fall under the services category. Um, But no, I I would not say that uh, chances of a recession are one hundred percent gone. And actually, if anything, you can make the argument that has only increased in the last couple of weeks in that the Federal Reserve is going to have to keep interest rates higher for longer. And that is systematically choking out people. Again, it's choking out households. It just hasn't, we haven't gotten to that breaking point yet. Um, But obviously, conversely, if the Federal Reserve were to start cutting interest rates, it starts loosening up. It makes things a little bit easier. It makes capital a little bit easier and a little bit more affordable to get. As long as interest rates stay where they are, we know that's a negative. Uh, what's happening in the stock market is not necessarily indicative of what's happening in the economy. And we've seen that happen a few times over the last decade where you could have economic growth. And right now, the first quarter, the initial estimate is right around one5 to 2% for first quarter GDP uh, 2024. That's not like that's a robust number compared to where we were two quarters ago. Two quarters ago, the third quarter of 2023, you know, we had two to three times 1.5 percent. So the economic growth is is slowing. Uh, it's still growing, and that's important. But again, I think there's still uh, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of dynamics that need to get settled. And I think to just succinctly put a, a wrapper on on this answer, De- Moody's one of the three large, and I think of all the entities, probably the most one of the most respected when it comes down to to macroeconomic calls. Since we're in the early innings of a default cycle, which just got started four months ago, typical default cycles last a couple of years. So we still need to see, and we are still in a growing proportion of defaults. I would certainly like us to be at the back half of that cycle. And we're nowhere close to that yet. We still need to see a lot of companies go bankrupt. And again, you're seeing growing numbers of businesses do that. So does that move or tilt the entire economy into a recession, that's remain to be seen. But again, we're still in the early stages of these bankruptcies. And again, that is certainly a negative impact on the broader economy. How that impacts large cap stocks, you know, that's, that's generally tied to how, how people, how speculative do they feel? You're seeing a lot of not right. profitable tech companies do very well the last, you know, three to four months, which is not really indicative of the underlying business, but their
0: stocks have jumped materially. Sure. One last one last question. You just brought it up. You know, small cap stocks they remain at a wide discount now to like large cap or mid cap. Then you got value stocks. They remain at a wide discount to core or growth stocks. But no sector has been more volatile than the tech sector in 2023. And simply because it was somewhat undervalued. Where do you see the tech sector, which really rose the market last year? Where do you see it going this year?
2: Yeah. I, I so. It's it's funny you mentioned that. I actually just read a report uh earlier today from Bloomberg from their from their analyst team or from their tech analyst team that actually believes that small cap small cap technology should actually be the outperforming subsector of the Russell two thousand. And the Russell two thousand index is your small cap index. Um so it's actually funny you mention that. Uh look, I, I think when you spread out technology, you have I I know I just I hate using this because I just said it, but the haves and have nots. You have companies within the technology sector that generate a ton of free cash flow and have very good balance sheets, say more cash than debt. On the other side, you have a lot of unprofitable tech companies that have never been profitable in their company's history and their businesses, especially in today's environment with interest rates that are three times, two to three times what they were just a couple of years ago. Those businesses are highly not ever going to make money. Uh, and they need access to capital markets so it's it's a tough period right now for technology. I think you have to really if you want to invest in it, you really have to do your homework and look for companies with strong balance sheets cash free cash flow generation uh and again maybe even an added benefit uh companies that might be able to contribute uh or benefit from you know any type of capital expenditures associated with artificial intelligence or quantum computing.
0: well said. Well, Stosh, as always, we appreciate you coming on, giving us your sage advice, and we'll be talking to you soon, guy. You take care. Absolutely, David. It's going to be it's going to be
2: a very interesting few months as we lead up into the November elections. It's going to be a fascinating time
0: for capital markets. Well, you being in on, D- on K Street in Washington, you could give us all the dirt, okay? Then we'll see what we can say on the radio. All right, you take care, guy. Take care. See you now. Uh, Let me say this to you, if you're not an existing client, Stash, as far as I know, is the only true professional fund manager that you're going to hear on the radio, at least on the west coast of Florida anyway. Uh, He gives us time at his busy, busy schedule where he has computers and (laughs) instantaneous trading going on the entire market day with his staff there. And you deserve the best of the best. Now, you know, you just listen to somebody that's managing close to 10, 10 figures of assets under management and, and insurance investments. You deserve the best. And if you feel in your heart that you're not getting the right proper guidance, no matter where you are in the economic food chain, and you've heard me say this, we don't care if you have $5 bucks in your checking account or $50,000 uh, under your under your bed. We thank God we have the capacity to help anybody, and and Stash can help you plan for your investing, for, especially for your retirement, the proper way, the right way. And we've been doing this a long time. They're talking about somebody that has a couple of graduate degrees from Johns Hopkins, and we're very lucky to have him talking to the average person, much less the rich and the famous. So if you feel it's time to get a good second opinion, by all means, Come to us, let's schedule an appointment, and you get to meet them personally, okay? Go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. At Graham Capital Advisors, again, we focus on the three-legged stool, legal, planning, and investing. We love what we do. Come and see us, and I guarantee you, when you, you leave our office, this giant, giant retirement monkey will be off your back, and you're going to just feel the stress leave your body, let us help you. We provide a comprehensive consultations at no cost to our listeners, and there's no obligation. If you work with us, you're going to work with the best, and we'll help you analyze your financial situation, and whatever your specific needs are, we'll help you. Social security planning, we do it all. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's grahamcapitaladvisors.com. That's grahamcapitaladvisors.com. You really want to be lucky and go help someone and got a smile on you. We're lucky to be Americans. It's right on our currency. city and God we trust. Good luck. God bless. Take care of each other. Stay safe out there. We'll see you. Thanks for
1: listening to the Graham Capital Market Update. For more information on any of today's topics, visit GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. This program is sponsored by Graham Capital Advisors, LLC, an independent estate planning and insurance agency. Investment advisory services are provided by Graham Capital Wealth Management, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Graham Capital Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice, and it should not be relied on as such. Individuals should consult a qualified professional for guidance before making any purchasing decisions.